You begin your journey back to Somar. The road is familiar but still foreign as you take the path backwards from where you came. It is also clear skies and mostly downhill as you pass from mountain to mountain along the cliff sides. After the day of travel by foot, you reach the top of that large staircase that goes down into the city. You stop for a rest here as the sun sets to your right on the western horizon. The last time you were here, it was before noon, and looking down on the city was described as looking into a bag of gemstones with all the different color rooftops. Here as the sun sets and night fades in, the city is lit up with lanterns and torches. It glows of orange and brightly illuminates an aura above the city. After a moment of rest, you begin your travel down into the city. You find a small tavern called the Lying Lion and pay coin for rooms for the night. You drink and you eat and you get more rest from walking the whole day through mountains. The next morning after a wonderful and peaceful night of rest, you gather back together in the tavern and head out. You walk the streets of Somar at a leisurely pace, taking in the sights. A small carnival troupe has set up along a main road and the six of you even stand there for a while watching a performance. After some fantastic juggling and minor acrobatics, a woman steps onto the small folded out stage from the wagon and begins a monologue. It is a solemn tale, a story of love and loss, a story of a small family dealing with the mental struggles of their eldest son and his betrayal to the family. The crowd stays silent for the entire monologue, and she ends the tale on its lowest note and exits the stage. The now emotional crowd sits in silence. Passerby look on in confusion, and after a few minutes, the crowd notices that while they were entranced by the story, the carnival workers had been packing up in quiet. The folded out stage is cranked back up as the wall of this large wagon, and the troop begins to move, the crowd still quiet and stunned by the story. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Quite depressing. Uh, uh, what? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> must have nodded off there for a moment. I just want to, like, slap Felibrand on his thigh. like, I can't believe you would do this. Uh, it was a very relaxing voice. <laughs> God, it's so embarrassing. You move forward a little further down this main street, and a large town square lies in front of you. Today appears to be some sort of special market day as a bazaar fills this entire area. Small tents and carts are littered in a somewhat organized way through this large market. A small sign stands at one of the path entrances. Painted on this folding sign is Tick Market. <laughs> well, I get it. Anyone in the market for ticks? Why would you buy ticks? It doesn't even make sense. Would you wish to browse through the tick market or do you just want to move forward? Is that really what they're selling as I walk inside? <laughs> Uh, walking through this tick market, you see that most of the things people are selling are used odd and ends. Basically, household items that are trying to, they are trying to get rid of. There are some tents and tables of newly crafted items, but nothing really special. Do they have, like, fire-roasted corn anywhere? Sure. Yeah, there's some fire-roasted <laughs> corn with lots of seasonings you can choose from. Um, Astra looks for a new brass bra I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, would you like to uh, roll a die for whatever market... Or whatever tent you come across and sure. what items they might have. D20? Or no, it's a D6, I'm sorry. Six. Astra, you stop at a large four-wheeled cart next to a hitched donkey. The things that stand out to you in this cart, there is a crude lantern made out of a large hollowed-out gourd with a candlestick stuck inside. There's also a bottle of green ink that claims to be waterproof. There's a preserved rabbit head in a jar, and then there's a raccoon skin cap. These are the things that stand out to you in this little cart. There are price tags on each of these. 
The crude lantern is one gold. The green ink is two gold. The preserved rabbit head in a jar is six gold. And the raccoon skin cap is 17 gold. Is there anybody manning this wagon? Yes. Uh, there is a old man, kind of frail looking, shirtless, and just like some pants with no shoes on. And he looks at you and says, what can I get you for today? Hiya. What can I get you for? <laughs> <laughs> what? Hi, yes. I, I see you have some interesting items for sale. Could you tell me about these? And I'll just like move my hand across all of these things. Uh, so, yeah, he starts to point them out and says, it's the four things I just pointed out to you. <laughs> That's all he has. These are, the sp- these are the items that seem the most unique in the cart. But why? Why are they unique? What's the story, Dave? I don't know. You want any of them? Are they magical or are they junk? They could be. <laughs> okay, looking at this lantern, describe it again for me. It's a crude lantern made out of a large hollowed out gourd with a candlestick stuck inside. It's a very poor jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> and it's only one gold. How big is this? We'll say it's, you know, about the size of this bottle. Like a, a squash. It's squash size. Is it rotten? No, it's like preserved and hard. Like a gourd could be. And and this, uh, you said rabbit's head? Yeah, there's a rabbit, a preserved rabbit head in a jar. Now, the cool thing about that is you get the rabbit head and the jar. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and it is six gold. Uh, that's an interesting lantern. I, I, I think I'll purchase that. All right, you go ahead and give me one gold and I'll give you that gourd. <laughs> <laughs> one gold, one gold. <laughs> Go ahead and give me one gold. <laughs> I hand him one gold. All right, so he gives you the crude lantern made out of a large hollowed out gourd with a candlestick stuck inside. And please roll a d20 for me. If you roll a 20, it is magical. Five. So it is not magical, and you now have a... <laughs> a gourd with a candle in it. A gourd with a candle <laughs> Nothing special about it at all. <laughs> and then Felomir walks up to you. Astro, you got to try this. And I have like five ears of corn in my hand. <laughs> they call it Somar Road Corn. <laughs> have some. Thanks. Uh, I'll take his road corn and s- stick the gourd under my arm. <laughs> Can I get you something, sir? Oh, what is this strange contraption here as I point to the preserved rabbit's head? <laughs> contraption? Oh, we really call it a device. It's just a head and jaw. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can't oh, do this God. voice without rolling my shoulders. <laughs> You're he a has, method actor. I respect <laughs> it. He has a condition. Well, I love me a good uh, head in a jarred what are you charging six gold <laughs> <laughs> sir i think you have yourself a deal oh here you go and i hand him six gold roll me a d20 this is actually my favorite magical possibility 20 you feel it <laughs> oh i'm feeling it dude yeah it's a six <laughs> unfortunately you did not get a magical item uh anyone else want to roll a d6 for a random cart i'll do it one. You see a purple blanket with a mandala pattern on the ground. On top of it are a ton of different items, but four specifically stand out. There's a bundle of surprisingly absorbent rags. There's small pints of paint, red, blue, green, white, and black. A small cast iron cauldron and a large exotic butterfly mounted on a mounted on court and displayed in a glass topped box. 
The rags are two gold. The paint is one. The iron cauldron is five silver. And the butterfly is five gold. I want to buy everything but the butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to get the cauldron and just start stuffing it with the other junk that I'm buying. All right. It's very small. It's like a cup-sized cauldron. Okay. Uh, But So that'll be 3.5 gold. I give them four gold. So roll me 3d20s. And we'll do it in a row that is on my list. So first is the absorbent rags. Three. So that is not magical. Eight. Six. Not <laughs> magical. <laughs> hey, this will be good supplies for for uh, Kirkle. Something. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, you got some rags with some paint and a cauldron. That's all painting supplies right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Anybody else want to roll a die? I'll, I'll bop around. All right, this time will be a D4 because there's only four options left. Three. You come across a wooden chest with wheels on a dirty blanket. There is four items, or there's more than four items, but four stand out. There's a 30-foot spool of wire. There is... A set of ankle shackles with a standard lock missing the key. <laughs> There's a half dozen purple carrots tied together with hip twine. And a pair of six-sided dice with dwarven numbers on the sides. Is there anyone here? Yes. There's a lady sitting on the blanket. Hey, hey can I get you something? Hey, hey, excuse me, ma'am. Uh... Tell me about these these dice here. Ah, yes, they're special dice. They have dwarven numbers on them. Cool. It's, it's, <laughs> is that what makes them special? Yes. They're only four gold. You don't get out much, do you? No. These are things that were laying around my house. Where did you get these? <laughs> they were my husband's, and he died, so I'm getting rid of them. <laughs> I got to make some profit off his death somehow, right? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, h- How did he get them? I don't know. Hmm. He traveled. Kept secrets, I see. Okay. You know what? Maybe you're better off. Maybe it's time for you to spread your wings. That's what I'm here for. I need the money to travel around. But what if you didn't need the money and you just needed the motivation? How about this? Instead of me paying you for that those die, we roll them. And if I get the number I guess, I get them for free. Well, give me a persuasion check first. Yes. It's going to be 29. I mean, I do like gambling. Me too. But what do I get if you lose? The two gold I would... Well, how much gold? Four gold. The, the two gold that they cost. They're four gold. Fine, four. All right, so you got to put the four gold in the pot so that I can snatch it if you lose. Well, you, we're civilians here. We're civilized. I'm not going to cheat you. Put the four gold there. I won't do it. Oh, my God, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the four gold on the table. So go ahead and first roll me a d20. Determine if they're magical. <laughs> because this is important for rolling them. <laughs> 13. All right, so they're not magical. All right, so roll 2d6 and guess the number before you roll. All right, now, <laughs> this is what I was banking on. Can she read Dwarven? Because neither can I. <laughs> you, you said Dwarven, Dwarven numbered dice. I pictured just like two fours, two twos, and two ones. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know yet, I guess. Hmm, Okay. She looks at you. Well? <laughs> what? Well, I guess I get the gold. No. <laughs> Can't you see? It's an eight. No. Look, there's an eight. There's a five. Or there's a, a three. That's 13. No. There's only up to 12. That's not how dwarven dice work. 
you take the first number minus the second number. So eight minus three is five. I don't know. Do you know if you gotta read it? I've been all around the world. I know lots of things, give including me, this. Give me a deception check. I will gladly give you a deception check. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be a 20. Okay, I guess you win. Well, I don't see it as a victory. I see it as your opportunity. Now, wouldn't you love to have been able to tell I me? just lost four gold. But you gained so much. And How I'm gonna, am I going to travel? I'm going to take my gold <laughs> and take my dice and just pat her on the on the side and just say, this is the first step. <laughs> and walk away. <laughs> Let's see. There's Finch left. It would be crazy not to check out a table at this point. So what do I roll? Uh, D6, four, five, and six is one, two, three. Four. So you walk up to a two-wheeled, hand-pulled wagon. There is a kid standing at it. He's working the cart. I mean, there are four items that stand out to you. There is a blacksmith's hammer with the word big boy stamped on the side. <laughs> Did you need to say more? <laughs> there is an oddly polished and fancy-looking Athernian battle helm. There is a bolt of colorful plaid fabric. And there is a colorful mask intended for use at fancy balls. The blacksmith's hammer is only two silver. The helm is seven gold. The plaid fabric is three gold. And the colorful mask is ten gold. How much fabric are we talking here? It is 20 square yards. I don't need all that shit. <laughs> Let me check out old big boy. See how it feels in my hand. Yeah. All right. So you pick up the hammer and it's just a blacksmith's hammer. Yeah. Reminiscent of my, my crowbar. <laughs> mm. I could, uh, yeah, and I'll kind of like take a couple like swings, you know, air swings. Like I could, I could use this. I'll flip it around and use the claw side and do a little couple swings. How, how much for the hammer, boy? Well, it's only two silver, sir. Only two silver? How's about one gold? Oh, thanks. And then I'll flick it, go ding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you get the Blacksmith's hammer with the word big boy stamped on the side. Uh, roll a d20 for me to determine if it's going to be magical or not. Come on, dude. This is the final. Somebody. Come on, big boy. We need one. I need it to be big boy, too. <clears throat> so close. Look, right there, though. So close. <laughs> 14. It is not a magical item. All right. Well, I got big boy. So you head out of the tick market, and eventually you make your way out of the city and head along a road past the pedestrian to equestrian. You know about where you're going because you know that... Ezro said that there was something north of the city and you have a map that has like the coastline far to the north of Somar. And after about 30 minutes of walking past the Pedek, you arrive at a small river port. The river flows south, but an upriver ferry barge awaits passengers. Toll paths along the riverside have four oxen on each side with long ropes tied to the barge to pull the vessel upstream. A sign near the front of the pier says, don't mean to barge in. <laughs> <laughs> Upstream rides 10 gold. Downstream rides or downstream ranges from 10 to 200 gold. Well, you guys want to catch a catch a ride upstream? It'll be a lot quicker to to take this than to walk. Let's go. I got it. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll go to the guy like there's 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 of us. 6 of us. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been hanging I've been looking at the dwarven dice too much today. <laughs> <laughs> you just get stupider the more you roll. 
All right, sir. Yeah, that's going to be 60 gold for six of you. Okay, I'll give him 60 gold. All right, that's going to get you lunch and breakfast and dinner for the ride, if you needed any of those meals. But it shouldn't be that long of a ride. It should only take about six hours to get there, so maybe you'll get you two meals in. Maybe we get that third one to go? They won't have it cooked, sir. Oh, but we're paying for it? No, you're paying for whatever meals you get on the barge for the time. Wait. Interesting concept. <laughs> I believe the term is complimentary breakfast. Yes, you understand, sir. <laughs> As I'm eating uh, corn still. You could eat it or not. It's going to be there. <laughs> Fair enough. I love this man. <laughs> you said 60? 60 gold, sir. All right, here's your 60 gold. Jingle jangle. Thank you, sir. And welcome aboard the the barge in. <laughs> <laughs> the barge in? Yeah. Hell yeah. You all find your way onto the barge, and it begins to slowly move after about an hour uh, waiting for more passengers. And the journey is rather calming. It's slow for the most part, but it's almost like you're on a river cruise. The barge is of decent size, and it doesn't have rooms or anything, but there is an upper deck that is a smaller platform than the lower, and there are picnic tables on a, and a small kitchen area that someone is working. There are roughly 20 other passengers aboard the barge and three staff members, the barge captain, the server, and a single guard who is equipped with a short sword. Uh, the journey kind of continues. There's At some point, there's food uh, available if you would like to eat. We'll say that there's like some bread, sandwiches, or there's some bread, some cheese, just basically charcuterie board stuff. Doroth will partake. Ooh, a gherkin. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, it's these little little pickled cucumbers. They call them gherkins where I come from. Oh. Uh, Cornishins, I believe is the term he's referring to. No, they're gherkins. Ah, uh, that looks like a Cornishin to me. Mm. Let me taste Crunch. one. <laughs> Eventually, the barge finds an int, like a pier along the river, and it's about, we'll say, mid-afternoon at this point, and uh, it comes to a stop at this pier, and the barge captain says, All right, now. If you're heading on over to Waywitch Wharf, you're going to take the path down the mountain, and you'll be on the other side on the coastline. I, I think he's talking to us. I hope you enjoyed your ride on your ride on the barge in. We're going to head back down the river. Exit in 10. I'm going to pull out my uh, bag of rations and just start stuffing the uh, <laughs> cheese and crackers into it. <laughs> you all start to find your way off the barge as new people or new passengers make their way onto the barge. This seems to just be some sort of transit that people take from the north coast to Somar. And you head on your way north to the Wayrich Wharf. The ship sways back and forth in the open ocean. Beneath the upper docks in a quiet room that can only hear the murmur of the sailors above, Felomir, you lay in a hammock resting. You've gone in and out of sleep. It has been five weeks on this vessel and fatigue has taken over you. You cough violently as you wake. You cover your mouth with an open fist and as you open your hand, droplets of blood cover your fingers and palms. You look at your hands and fingers. They are so frail. They're swelling on the tips of your fingers, 
aged spots have darkened on the back of your hand. You stand up and wipe the blood from your hand with a wet towel. You rub the old hands together, and you know that your companions have been seeing you age rapidly, and they don't really say much about it. The adrenaline that kept you going all the way up through the Universal Library, that's all it was, adrenaline. But the question is, can your body take on such a quest anymore? You pull the eldritch tome of the great old one, Remora. You sift through it, hoping to find something new, something that could help you in this time of sickness and fatigue. A single line in the tome becomes somewhat legible to you. Uh, Forkar, Yulindi, Avakon, Yoroti? As you say it, and you read it further and investigate it more, it's an eldritch spell, and it translates loosely to, with this final sacrifice, I pledge more time to you. Nothing happens as you read this incantation aloud. With this final sacrifice, I pledge more time to you. To who? To you, Remora? To, to my companions? To who? And I just sort of gaze up out the window, look at the waves crashing by. It seems as you read it further and you kind of ponder on what this spell could mean, it's looking for some sort of material sacrifice. Hmm, I guess, could it be some sort of spell component that I need? Uh, maybe something like that, but I don't really know what it could be. Hmm. I'll just keep flipping the same page over and over, trying to maybe gather some more information on the, the incantation, okay. see if it goes further. It seems like this specific line is, it almost reads like a scroll. Like, it is a spell to read that incantation. It could be a sacrifice of anything, it seems. A magic item, coin, a, a cotton ball, anything that you're willing to give up. Hmm. And I don't know what the spell does either. All it says is, with this final sacrifice, I pledge more time to you. It could almost act as maybe a resurrection spell. Could be a spell of healing. Looking at it, you definitely can tell that it is the school of evocation. Remora, what sort of sacrifice do I need to give? Uh, at this point, I'm just talking to my tome. Sure. Uh, I've given everything I can up to this point, and I'd, I, I'm willing to give whatever I can more. I just don't know what. You want to test anything? You want to try anything? I mean, I'm just, I'm not intending to, I guess, cast the spell at this point. I just want to see if I can determine if these are maybe like the components that would be consumed by the spell. Give me an arcane check. Uh, that's going to be a 24. You spend another maybe 30 minutes to an hour really thinking on it and studying it. It seems you could sacrifice anything and that the quality of the sacrifice could be how much more time it gives you. Okay, so I can deduce like this will help extend my life. Potentially. Okay. In that case, I will pull out. I don't know if I want to use gold. I don't know if that'll do it justice. I guess that's really all I have of value, except for my magic items. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. I'll uh, I'll I'll glance over at my eldritch spear. All right. And I'll say, well, if I'm gonna be making a final sacrifice. This uh. This is the most valuable thing I have. And I'll sort of uh, pull my Eldritch Spear into my lap and sort of begin to, I guess, attempt the incantation using my staff, or my spear, rather. All right. 
four car Ulindi, Avacon, Yoroti. As you prepare your sacrifice and read the incantation aloud, the room darkens on the edges, but the dim light you have around you stays lit. The script begins to illuminate a lush green, brightening with each word said. The spear slowly fades out of existence as the script brightens and fades away out of your tome. You look back at your hands as the spell, this ritual ends, and the clubbing at the tips of your fingers goes away. The pain in your frail hands and wrists dampens and the fatigue goes away. The dark age spots lighten and your wrinkly hands and face rejuvenate, making your skin less broken. It feels almost like how you felt before arriving to Laron. It felt like the power of this arcane energy had pulled energy from everything in the room and around you. You lay back in your hammock and ponder how much longer your body can take this. How much longer you have left to live. The sun begins to set behind you as the ship that you are riding follows the northern edge of Mithron's shores, changing direction southeast towards Downland Harbor. The last two days you have been sailing along the shores of Mithron, looking onto the land from the ship. The six of you stand on the starboard side and see mountains in the distance along with a flooded tundra. The land looks unhealthy as tons of small streams pour down the beaches into the ocean from the ever-melting layers of snow. Obvious signs of heavy erosion can be seen along all the sandy beaches as water ran down from land to ocean. And then a large bustling port comes into view on the Mithron border. An ancient city in ruins sits on the coast of Mithron. Multiple vessels sit in the harbor with different insignias flying from their ships. Calandria, Chandlin, Port Haven, Athern, Rodana, Televastral, and Lathansis all appear to have arrived to take part in the expeditions into Mithron. You even see some smaller ships with different pirate insignias, the Wizard's Rainbow and the Golden Prail. This must be the port that Chisholm Rizm mentioned weeks ago, the Port of Bellatool. I guess everyone's excited to explore again now. Seems that way. That's a lot of ships. Everyone's come to see the statue, of course. <laughs> the four of you do notice that Felomir seems a little more energized today. Travel had been kind of struggling on him as age has been taken over, but today he seems better. <sighs> Let out a nice stretch and yawn. Oh, there are quite a few boats at this port, it seems. Got a little extra pep in your step today. Ah, yes. Good night's sleep? You could say that. Yeah, I like sleeping. Oh, yes. Becoming my favorite pastime. But no, I actually uh, performed some sort of incantation last night that I found in my book. Uh, what, what was it? I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> uh, just some sort of eldritch incantation. Um, yeah, something about a final sacrifice. I uh, give, uh, pledge something to you, something or other. Something about the <laughs> final sacrifice. Yeah, I think I'd like a little more uh, information here. Wait, which, which book? Oh, my tome. Oh. But long story short, I ended up uh, using my... Uh, Eldritch Spear as a spell component, as a sacrifice. 
And now I feel great. It did also have that shard of the uh, white orb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? You, you said you feel great. What What was the spell for? I, I couldn't translate it completely, but it, it was just a, what I got out of it was with this final sacrifice, I pledge more time to you. So I think it's something about extending my life span. Wow. That must be a powerful incantation. Yes, it was a great sacrifice. You know, for a second, I thought you sacrificed like a, a person. Oh, no. Oh, that might have done a little better. Okay, well, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, that's a lot, but I'm glad you feel better. Oh, yes, I feel years younger. You look good. Well, thank you. I feel good. Does he look any different? Oh, yeah, he does. Like, there's a lot of wrinkles that have apparently, like, smoothened out. You've noticed that, like, over time, he had seemed to, like, have clubbing on his fingers and stuff, and that's gone away. Like, his, his tail's wagging a little more. <laughs> <laughs> a little happier. <laughs> Now to find another staff. And I start looking around the uh, the deck of the ship. <laughs> I mean, do you want to really grab something? Okay, uh, I'll just give... grab like a broom and just break the handle off. <laughs> All right. So, sure. You grab... you want to like do this stealthily or just uh, take a mop for swabbing the poop? Deck? Yeah, exactly. I'll just grab the closest mop or broom and just snap it. All right. Yeah, sure. You have the spear again. Now how will we now swap the poop deck? And when I say spear, I mean quarterstaff. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're like this. And I'll just use Mage Hand to start rubbing the, <laughs> the mop head on the deck of the ship. Wow. You know what? Let's give uh, give some sailors a perception check on that. <laughs> he doesn't care. Mm. <laughs> He's just a lowly sailor. <laughs> and now he doesn't have to mop. Now he doesn't have to mop. <laughs> I just work here, dude. <laughs> Not my problem. Eventually, the ship makes port in Downland Harbor, in the nation of Andrin. Thunder cracks across the night sky. A heavy rain begins to fall, and after a six-week journey on this transport ship, you finally have made it back to the continent of Solaria. It is now winter of the year 725 of the Fourth Age. There's a crisp cold in the air. Heavy rain patters against the wooden deck of this large vessel, and the five of you with Kurgle stand in the cold rain along with other passengers waiting to disembark. And when the time comes, the crowd moves quickly onto the dock. Downland Harbor looks different, though. A thick wooden wall surrounds the city on its borders facing land, and the wall stretches out into the water down the beach. Watchtowers have been installed along the palisade, and town guards are posted at each lookout. Downland Harbor has changed since you were last here, roughly nine months ago, when the doppelgangers kidnapped Dorth. And as you walk down the dock in the midst of this crowd, at the end of the pier is a station where town guards stand on duty as someone sits at a table processing through the arrivals. Wow, Fitch, your new recruits really got things running in tip-top shape here. Yeah, no, it looks like uh, the Yen Crimson Command did something here. It looks pretty organized, but I- I'd be surprised to see any of them here. Uh, I think everyone's probably in Gamor, and heck, I wonder how far I'll make it past this checkpoint, honestly. Oh, yeah. Yes, you are a wanted criminal. I am, but I'm not here to hide myself either. So are we going to just be arrested on sight? I mean, he might. (laughs) (laughs) I assume they'll take me to the place I'm trying to get to, though, right? (laughs) Like, we're all going to Gamora. Yes, it appears that we need to check in anyway, so we can always ask. The line eventually processes through, and you get to a human man at a table. Hey, welcome to Downland Harbor. 
I'm here to collect your toll to enter the city. Five silvers as a tax to help improve our beloved town. Five silver each? Yes. Well, what if we just want to go around? You can't just go around. You're in our port. Drats. Hmm. <laughs> Drats. <laughs> Foiled again. Uh, who? No one gets by re in the storm. By, by who? Re in the storm. Re in the storm. Sounds familiar. <laughs> the guy that mugged you. <laughs> you look a, You look familiar. Yeah? Did he pee on you? <laughs> I point to, to, to Doris. <laughs> yes, your face does ring a bell. Well, I used to collect tolls for entering the city here all the time. That's how I made my money. Ah, yes. Extortion. No. Tolls. Enter oh, my city. We've had this discussion. <laughs> yeah. You were a mugger. You had a knife. You tried to steal from us. You yeah, you weren't paying us. me, so I had to dig my knife out. And you took... Oh, that's who you are. You took my knife. My knife that my daddy gave me. Oh, yes, I believe I still have it here. Not his daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I do have it, actually. Yes, it's right here. You know what? I'll let you pass without paying me if you give me that knife. All of us. Give me a persuasion check. 24. Uh, That's how many of you? Four? No, it's six. Six? Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. Yeah, give me my knife, and I'll let you through. In trouble by who? And I'll slide his knife over the The mayor, of course. Was there a mayor last time? Nope. Y'all suggested somebody be one. <laughs> oh, a mayor, huh? Yeah, Mayor Hawklaw. Mayor Hawklaw? Hawklaw. Haw- Odie Hawklaw. He used to run the general store. Ah, Odie. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> did, did Is there no Crimson Command or anyone around here? Uh, uh, no, the Crimson Command are back in Gamor. Were they ever here? Of course. They helped us turn this place into what it is now. Well, I'll be interested to see what that is. Well, it's fantastic in my opinion. Now I'm on through. I got people to process. I'll give him a nod. Yeah, just walk on through. So you start to walk through. You make your way through the town, away from the dock, up the main street. Homes, shops, and warehouses seem to be in great condition. The cobblestone streets have been widened with gutters running down towards the shore. However, the residents that you see aren't very greeting. There's limited eye contact, no pleasantries like how the town felt before. Could be the heavy rain as people rush to their destinations. But the vibe feels like this happy community has turned into a town of business. Eventually, you make it to a familiar building, a tavern called the Drunken Dolphin. As it is late at night and raining heavily, you make your way inside for some shelter. Inside is a large, quiet crowd. Families eat dinners and attempt to control their children. Multiple tables with groups of men playing cards quietly and drinking solemnly. You remember the barkeep John Grahar, a dwarven man that had run the bar and struggled with the coin counts? And you don't see a dwarven man in this building anymore. He's not behind the counter, but a woman that stands over six feet. She has her thick red hair pulled back in a tight ponytail, and she's pouring mugs of ale for a server's tray. No music is playing, and the entire tavern is eerily quiet. Very strange for this time of night in a tavern. And also strange because the five of you had quite a rambunctious night amongst a large crowd, not nine months ago. I will walk up to the bar. All right, so Dora starts to make a move towards the bar. <clears throat> ah, yes. What is going on here? Uh, serving drinks, making food, what can I get you? It's prime time for entertainment. Uh, we don't really do that anymore. What? It doesn't really do anything for the business. Just incites riots. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Dick in the dirt. Dick in the dirt. <laughs> There's no excuse for a tavern at this hour to have no entertainment? Look, we've been making plenty of money, paying our taxes, doing our fair share for the city. 
and we don't really need to be paying entertainers right now. But what about spirit? What about morale? I don't think it literally matters for full people. Are there any taverns here that do have fun? <laughs> I, we're the only tavern in town. That's disappointing. It's not only disappointing, Keth. It's a travesty! I mean, there's no law against whatever you want to do, I guess. As long as you don't break anything, you can be as loud and rambunctious as you want, but most people are just here to eat and drink and be on their way. <sighs> or they're sailors that are, you know, here for a room for the night before they leave again. these people. You can do it, Doroth. Let's give them something to talk about. It's not that I can't. It's that I won't. <laughs> this, as I said, is a travesty. These people don't deserve my entertainment. <laughs> they wouldn't even pay me. Look at them. And I'll just like look around. Again, I got some drinks to serve. Is there anything I can get you? Ah! And I'm just going to turn around. <laughs> well, let's just go grab a table for now. And I'll grab an open table. Okay. So yeah, you turn from the bar and start to look for a uh, table. And as you start to look for that table, the tavern door opens up and a well-dressed man that you quickly recognize walks inside as a younger man follows behind. Odie Hawkclaw wears a colorful robe with a sash around his neck and a large golden amulet, while Siddalee follows behind with a clipboard and a stack of parchment. Odie stands in the door as Siddalee removes Odie's coat. He has a large smile on his face and makes eye contact with the five of you. He then raises his arms in a greeting fashion and says very loudly, Well, look what the storm dragged in! Downland Harbor Saviors! Uh, uh, us? Yes! The five of you! Hello. I didn't realize we were saviors. Yes. I mean, there's that attack that took Siddeley here, and then Dorth, and then that captain. What happened to him? Is he okay? Mm. He's doing well, yes. Very good. Well, uh, welcome back. What do you think? We've turned the place around like you said, right? Looks very organized. Looks very nice and clean from the outside and from the inside. Local government. Who knew? What happened to the music? What do you mean? Listen. I mean, I, you could probably play if you wanted. Just go ask the barkeep. I talked to the barkeep, and she made it very clear that I wasn't, well, my style of entertainment wasn't welcome here. So maybe you could go talk to the barkeep. I'm not in charge of the tavern here. She has her own business going on. She pays her taxes. I'm not here to rustle leaf feathers. Are you not the mayor? I am the mayor, but I'm not in charge of the bar. Hmm. <laughs> but welcome back. I see that you're looking for a table. Go ahead and take that one, and we and Siddeley will sit at the bar. If you insist. All right. All right. Thank you. Aster's head is just down. <laughs> Uh, so you all find yourself a seat. You uh, order food, drink from one of the barmaids. You all do anything in the night here, or? Uh, I guess we should get a room. Uh, yes, uh, if I recall, Gamora's a short walk from here. Two days, I believe. We could rest for the night and depart in the morning. Is there one of them uh, pedestrian to equestrians here? You remember? I think that's a Lunali, a thing. Mm. Uh, who's going to bunk with Doroth and keep an eye on him this time? <laughs> Oh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I'll bunk with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to just push this until happens. <laughs> then it's settled. <laughs> yeah, Kurgle can protect you. You better have your weapons ready. See those guns? Look at those guns. <laughs> I don't have any flintlocks. Wow. Well, what happened to your flintlock? Oh, well, I do have this one, but I don't have guns. <laughs> I have one gun. <laughs> I think she means your arms. My arms? What's wrong with my arms? My arms don't shoot things. It's just a phrase. Never mind. Look at that gun. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll get the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I stand up and walk to the bar. All right, so you walk to the bar. Uh, she says that the rooms are, uh, we'll say two gold per. I'll get three rooms. All right. And you get an assorted number of keys. Is there a stage? There is. You have performed here on that same stage. Okay, I'm just going to jump onto it. <laughs> and I'm going to pull out a drum and just start like beating it to get people's attention. As you pull the drum and start beating it, that's when people finally do turn their heads towards you. My name is Dorfabe Grumman Kyle. You might remember me from, I don't know, months ago. Who here remembers me? I'm going to point among the crowd and just see. You make eye contact with this man that has this, like, very meaty sandwich and, like, juices running from it. <laughs> and then, like, the juices just kind of seep down the corner of his mouth. And he's eating with his mouth wide open. And he's just staring at you. <laughs> this guy gets it. <laughs> Listen, everybody. When was the last time there was entertainment in this here establishment? One of the children that is at the, one of the family tables goes, Mommy, Mommy, what's he talking about? <laughs> What? Well, young person, man. <laughs> person works. I'll show you what a late night bar is supposed to be like. Fucking dust. <laughs> it's family dinner time. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're about to get late night real quick. And I'm just going to pull out my loot and start performing. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me double jump Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so Doris performs on stage <laughs> as the four of you sit at the table and watch awkwardly from a distance as this quiet crowd continues to be quiet and just like watches him from really? the side eyes. Damn. Uh, but go ahead and give me a performance check, Doris, to determine oh, no. if it sways the audience opinion. It's a uh, 20. So a lot of the kids start to like stand up on their chairs and the moms and dads are like trying to like pull them back down. And then like some of the men are like nodding their head, but can really just focusing on their card game. Not a lot of approval. Doroth is continuing to perform, but getting frustrated, <laughs> like uh, visibly frustrated. Is Doroth wearing a hat? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think I'm usually wearing a hat. Okay. Astra's like kind of bobbing her head, trying to like look around to like maybe get people to follow suit, but um, she's gonna cast Mage Hand and uh, grab the hat from his head and kind of like put it at the foot of the stage <laughs> and then cast Prestidigitation to kind of make some like little fireworks. All right, uh, go ahead and give me another performance check with advantage this time. Yeah, this one gets it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a, a seven. <laughs> with advantage? Yes. Oh no. Uh, one man stands up, a sailor that obviously knows how these kind of things work, and walks over with three silver and throws it into your hat. Hell yeah! <laughs> I'll intermittently woo for him. Go <laughs> door! All right, and so the night awkwardly goes on with the crowd slowly dispersing at some point, and instead of a late night crowd coming in, it pretty much just dies off as basically a restaurant instead of a bar and y'all find yourselves slowly getting tired as well and i guess you give up on the night and start to head towards your rooms good night dowlin harbor it's been a blast i'm just gonna get off stage and be like that one's terrible <laughs> man this place has changed
The next day, you begin your two-day journey by foot out of Downland Harbor. The journey is filled with long periods of rain. You camp through the stormy night, extremely uncomfortable, and the next morning, you do it all over again. Eventually, as you make your way around the bend of a hill after dusk, the Crimson Hold comes into view. Street lamps and fires dimly illuminate the city of Gamora in front of you. You use your cloaks to shield yourself from the cold rain, and you approach the gates into the city. Two of Gamora's town guard, who are not Crimson Command, watch you approach in the rain. As you get yourselves under a small pavilion, one of the two guards steps in front of you and holds a torch up to see better. Hello, welcome travelers. What brings you to Gamora? I believe you're expecting me, and then I'll pull my, my hood down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he looks at you. Remember, these aren't Crimson Command. He looks at you and says, um, I'm not sure that we are expecting you. Are you uh, representative from another nation or something? I'm uh, Flynn Cartwright, also known as Finch. He's a fugitive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here uh, as as a Crimson Command member to turn myself into the Crimson Command. Oh, okay. Um, Well, uh, good on you, I guess. But if you want to head to the Crimson Hold, you can turn yourself in and just walk through the city, I guess. I don't know that I need to escort you. And Where where are his escorts? Okay. (laughs) We got him. (laughs) <laughs> this way, fugitive. <laughs> I guess give me a deception check if you really go in there. I cast prestigitation to make some like shackles. It's uh, 22. All right. Well, yeah, if you've got him, you take him. I guess you're some sort of bounty hunters or something. No funny business. <laughs> <laughs> I just drag him quickly through the gate. So the six of you, which includes Kurgle, obviously. Make your way through the city, and a familiar town square comes into view. The town square where you first fought Velmir and his shadow assassins. The fountain in the center of it has been redone. It is now a white marble that has engravings into the sides of the slabs. Each engraving is a person's name. It is a memorial to those lost in the attack on the city. Here is also where Dorth was strung up to a pylon taken by Velmir and his forces. In a sense, this feels like the place where your adventure really began during the Festival of Solar Flare a year and a half ago. I was going to say, it'd be really funny if the fountain was like a, a like a monument of me. <laughs> <laughs> the sculpture of Doris. Yeah. Kind of weird being back here. Yeah, it gives me the creeps a little. Well, it looks like they, you know, rebuilt rather quickly and... You know, it looks like they're doing well, and it's a nice memorial, but it's unfortunate that it's there in the first place. Is, is it all our fault? Some people seem to think it's mine, at least. Well, we know whose fault it is. It's Velmir's. Yes, of course. Velmir. We just have to convince them of that as I look at the Crimson Hold. I'm going to, like, uh, reach in my pocket and just flip a gold coin in the fountain and not really say anything but make a little wish to myself. <laughs> what you wishing for, Finch? <laughs> that everything works out the way it's supposed to. The way Aww. it's supposed mm. to. Well worded. <laughs> yeah. God's will. And when you exit from that town square and turn onto a straight road, at the end of this straight road is the Crimson Hold. You walk through this heavy rain down the road. The walk takes roughly five minutes as you walk with purpose in this cold rain. But to you, Finch, it feels like a lifetime. At the end of this road, the drawbridge is up. Four Crimson Command guards stand on duty in the rain. As we're walking up, I want to, I guess, stop and say, uh, all right, Finch, I think uh, 
you're probably going to get arrested as soon as you say who you are. Is there anything you want to get off your person or anything of that nature? I mean, I'm sure they're going to go through the motions of arresting someone. So they'll take all your belongings and... Is there yeah. anything you want us to hold on to? Could keep the back for you. And the, uh, uh the, 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 the orbs. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, just kind of what I was implying. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, those are two very great ideas. Uh, Pivak, and I'll kind of take him with a little finger, and I'll look at him like, you're gonna hang out, have to hang out with these guys for a while. We're gonna have to be separated, but you'll be okay. No. <laughs> and then, and then I'll, I'll kind of like, Point him towards Doroth because I know that they kind of talk. All right, all right. Uh, I will take Pivak. He uh, flaps his wings and flutters a little bit and kind of like circles around your head for a moment, Finch, and then like lands on Doroth's shoulder. Not, not so tight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I guess then I'll I'll get the orbs ready and in a little sack and hand them over to uh, Felomir. Okay. I feel like if they're gonna arrest me. They're gonna like hold my stuff like you would in a regular thing and give them back hopefully too. you would assume they'll probably confiscate things yes so i'm just wondering if i need to like hide all my weapons and armor and all that kind of stuff or is that like overkill that's up to you i'm just asking if there's anything you want us to hold on to well shit yeah okay well you know what go ahead and well <laughs> what if what if i need these things i don't know um all right i'll hand them uh my flintlock and my great sword as well Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, thank these, God you got heavy. a few years back. <laughs> well, these are very important, and I definitely don't want them to fall into the wrong hands. Certainly. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you all my money, too, because someone might need to bail me out or just have it when I can't use it. So here is 367 gold pieces. Uh, here. So you are giving him the orbs. Right. Okay. Um, as I see them doing this, I'm going to grab Oystrich off of my shoulder and kind of just like casually hold him in front of me and look down and cast uh, divination. Okay. You start to begin the ritual and you have Oystrich in your hand and you're staring deep into his eyes and you cast the spell and Oystrich eyes begins to glow as you ask your question. Is Finch turning himself in today going to help in our goal of saving Asus? Your eyes start to focus on Oystrich. Your peripheral vision becomes blurry and almost like a time in the Temple of Hanet when Oystrich spoke as Titus from Rodana. He speaks aloud, not telepathically. Hanet does not build a hill on its own. What the fuck? <laughs> He's doing it again! <laughs> I'm just going to point out Oystrich. What does that mean? Is that it? That's it. Okay. What, are, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe the Guardians could give me a glimpse into how this is all going to play out. Well, there could be something behind it. I mean, perhaps it means that Finch turning himself in alone will not help save Asus, but perhaps there's something we can do. I mean, what, what the hell? Am I allowed, am, does no one else see how creepy this is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've obviously got his back. I mean, that's the only thing that I can think is, you know, we just have to be there for him. Well, perhaps that's what the saying means. I mean, yes, I, I believe that I must do what is best for the greater good. And uh, I guess I can't do it all by myself. So maybe at least just having you guys with me. Turning himself in is only a piece of the puzzle. The first pebble to the hill, maybe. And 
us as his companions can see to it that he is found innocent and recruit the assistance of the Crimson Command in fighting Born. Or perhaps we'll find whatever answer that we're looking for just because we're looking for it. Who knows? <laughs> so, so Felomir, what... I mean, I'm going to have to tell them that I have the orbs. I'm sure they're going to want to see them. Like, how are we going to cross that bridge? Um, I assume I'll tell them that you're holding them for me, right? Like, I mean, do you have an issue with me showing them to them, giving them to the Crimson Command? I mean, I guess not. It almost feels kind of part of what we're doing here. Just kind of like uh, with the Sentinel, we kind of like, you know, proof is in the pudding. We kind of got to show our cards to get you know, some trust. Certainly so. I guess really the only question then is, would you like to show them the orbs yourself and have them confiscate them? Or would you rather, uh, I assume there will be some sort of hearing or trial for you. Would you like to bring it up then or before? It's really up to you. I'll return them if you want to uh, to turn them in when, when you're arrested. Perhaps, perhaps maybe that is, that is the goal. We know there's going to be a trial, so hang on to them for evidence when that starts. Certainly, and if, if when you're getting arrested, feel free to tell them that I have them, and if they desire to confiscate them, I'll hand them over, certainly. But we should definitely make sure that they know that if they touch them, they will surely die. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll try and mention it, yeah. Well, at any rate, are you ready? Yeah, we're here now. At the end of this road, the drawbridge is up. Four Crimson Command guards stand on duty in the rain. When they see you approaching, they take their spears into a ready position. The keep appears to be in lockdown again, which makes sense with everyone being called back to base around the world. The six of you stop about 30 feet away from them as they take this ready position. One of them, not sure which in the dark and heavy rain, speaks out and says, Halt! No one is allowed in that is not command. I am Flynn Finch Cartwright. I'm unarmed and I'm here to turn myself in. The guards kind of whisper to each other in the rain. Can't quite hear what they're saying. It's just kind of a low murmur. And then one of them screams out, Open the gate! And it echoes as guards pass the message. Open the gate! The The drawbridge begins to lower. As the bridge thumps against the ground on this side of the moat, the gate begins to open up on the other side. You see a man in a midnight blue cloak standing in the gate's torchlight. He begins to walk across the bridge. Two Crimson Command knights in polished metal armor, dark blue capes, crimson sashes and helmet plumes. Shields and sheathed longswords walk on the sides of this cloaked man. And then to the side of the knights, two Crimson Command guards with only longswords sheathed to their sides. The gate guards step to the side as they pass and give the traditional Crimson Command salute. The five crossing the bridge walk towards the six of you. They stop about ten feet away. The cloaked man stands stern with the guards to his sides, looking each of you up and down. There is a brief pause and eerie silence before he finally speaks. I am High Inquisitor Draskal, named for Apple Podcast reviewer Sam Draskal. And you are... You know who I am. I'm Flynn Finch Cartwright, Master Scout of Asus. I am unarmed and here to turn myself in. He stands there briefly for a moment. The cloak is covering his eyes a little bit in the rain, and everything's not helping your vision of him, but you can see just a small smirk on the right on the corner of his mouth. You'll gain some respect by turning yourself in, Captain Cartwright. 
and it looks like your adventure has paid off for you. And then he looks at your polished armor. I only hope that it has paid off for Asus. Mmm, got him. Yes. I am here to inform you that you are under arrest for 26 counts of offenses. To be blunt, I've never seen a case like this before. Your crimes could be interpreted as villainy and range from minor misconducts to terrorism against our allies. These men to my sides are here to take you in. I ask that you lay down any of your weapons that you still have remaining on you in front of you and tell these vigilantes of yours to step back. One single move from them and this will turn violent quickly. They are not vigilantes. They are my friends. And I will turn and like, you guys can just step back for a second. And I'll start rummaging through my backpack and I'll be like, I guess this could count. And I'll throw out a big boy hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Big boy. I'll I'll, uh, also grab a mini mining mitt and turn towards Felomir and say, here, here, grab this one. I'll throw him my mini mining mitt. Nope. Nope. I'll I'll fumble (laughs) with it. And then I'll also, uh, I see the, the Bowie knife, I guess I forgot. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> oh, I'll also throw that down with Big Boy. I'm pretty sure that's everything. So you put everything down you know, or hand it off to Felomir, and the four of you and Kurgle watch as the two shieldless guards walk forward cautiously. One has shackles in his hands, and the other draws his longsword. The one with the sword stands to Finch's right as the one with shackles steps behind Finch. Once the shackles are in place, the sword-wielding guard sheathes his sword and begins to pick up the remaining weapons on the ground. The other begins to pat Finch down. As he goes through the process of patting you down, looking for any items that might be remaining on you, y'all notice that his head kind of cocks to the side and looks at Draskal, and Draskal looks disappointed. And uh, then High Inquisitor Draskal says, and your orbs are lost, I take it? No, they're safe. They're safe? Yes. Do we wish to add another count of offense against your 26? Okay, that that's just unnecessary. Uh, Dor- what are you talking <laughs> Doroth, it's fine. It's fine. There's going to be a trial, isn't there? There will be. And there will be evidence. And Let's- evidence will need to be gathered. And it'll be there because it's gathered. I gathered it. <laughs> so you're telling me that you're withholding evidence before the trial? Yes, I am. Now let me in. Oh, okay. Now let's just settle down here. Uh, we're actually, uh, apart from his traveling companions, also his defense team. (laughs) (laughs) Council, dude. And I have the orbs right here in my possession. All right. Do you wish to hand them over? I'll kind of eye Finch. Uh, and where will uh, the evidence be held? Will we have access to it? We also need to inspect it. I assume that over the last year and a half that you've had these orbs, that you have done somewhat of an inspection on them and don't really need to anymore? There's a lot more to it than that. I have no issue handing things over to present as evidence, as long as both you and us have equal access to it. You will have access to the evidence. Equal access? Equal access. Alrighty. And I'll look at Finch one more time. Sounds good to me. I didn't like the hesitation. What can we do here? Come on. Unnecessary. Just calm down. Just calm down. He's being a dick. (laughs) And then I'll I'll, uh, pull the satchel with the orbs out and walk towards him and hand him to him. The guard that's was looking for them, patting Finch down, steps in front of you, as if to not let you approach Draskal. I'll uh, look past him and hold the satchel up. Here you are. Hand them to the guard. Here you are. And I'll hand them to the guard. The guard takes it, and then he opens the satchel and reaches inside and starts to grab an orb. Wait, 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 wait. Don't touch them. The guard looks at Draskal, and then Draskal looks to you and says, and why not? It's, it, it, it's a lot to explain. But if you touch them, you could die. 
Those are very powerful artifacts. Not anybody can touch them. We've had several people that we've run into that have attempted to touch the orbs and not all of them have survived. I believe that our last archmage, Chismerism of the Wizard's Rainbow, touched the green one. He did, yes. And he did not fall apart or anything. Well, Chismerism is a really powerful wizard. I don't know about that guy there, though. I point at the guard that's <laughs> reaching in the satchel. Now, look, we agreed on equal access to the evidence. If they wish to touch them, they can touch them. Perhaps as long as your intentions are good, and I'll kind of dart my eyes at the Inquisitor, like really unsure <laughs> as to whether or not he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> With a voice like that, <laughs> we know he's the bad guy. <laughs> Examine the evidence as the you guard see fit. nervously now looks towards Draskal, and then Draskal nods his head. And then the guard continues and reaches in and he pulls the red orb out and looks at it and then kind of like pokes his head into the satchel a little more and then puts the red orb back and then looks at Draskal and then nods his head. And Draskal says, all right, uh, is there anything else that you would like to submit as evidence since we are sharing the evidence equally? Well, what have you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real talk. Yeah. Uh, perhaps we can discuss this inside. Before the trial. You will not be welcome inside at it's, this moment. It's raining! <laughs> you are not part of the Crimson Command. Yeah, but the evidence is inside, right? And we get equal access, so let and us we're, in. We're guests. You are not guests to the Crimson Command. You are vigilantes, and you should be blessed right now that you are not also being arrested. Wow. But if you would like to know, he pulls out a scroll on his side Here we and go. says, These will be the 26 counts against you. We will have the trial in a month, and you will have plenty of time to gather whatever information you'd like, representatives to your cause. But first, we will have that you abandon your post in Erendor. You impersonated the guard in a Crimson Hold. You abandoned your post in a Crimson Hold. You recklessly endangered the entire city by taking the orbs out of the Crimson Hold. You created a vigilante force in Yen, apparently. We learned this from a group that you created. And with that group, we also found out that you tortured people in the sewers of Yen. One person is calling that you have removed sacred ground of Mithron by removing the darkness. You also have a goon squad, as we like to put it. You sent over to Downland Harbor and completely changed that town. You teamed up with pirates. You have paid to free a known criminal. You forced job displacement within the city of Fort Grizzle. There was a house fire that seems a little eerie around you. Then there was destruction of property, intimidating an official, there was an insurrection from what I found whenever I investigated Loran. There was slave trading, something uh, that I found out through a man named Hans Klein. The murder of Chadwick Gate. The Temple of Daloon Massacre, as we're now calling it. And then the Crimson Keep has completely been destroyed because you basically showed up. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you resisted the arrest from the Sentinels in Chandelin. You assaulted an, an officer. You fleed the scene of a crime. Ezro, a witness against you, has you labeled as disobeying orders. Also abandon Ezro, which we have you listed as abandoning fellow command, which potential fragging as he then came across Knowles, who he didn't have anyone to help him fight against. And recently we got a message about the Universal Library being destroyed. We are labeling that as currently as domestic terrorism. I got the orbs, though. <laughs> Listen, there is an explanation for every single one of those counts. You are trying to label him as a criminal, and he's done nothing but protect you. 
Yes, Dorth, Fabe, Groman, Kyle. That is what the trial will be for. So you've heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, now, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Uh, not at this time. Uh, you said we have a month to gather more evidence and witnesses and build our case, yes? Yes. And when will we have access to the evidence that you have currently gathered? I will have a messenger to you once we are ready to begin that process. You got a time frame estimate? Give me a couple days. All right. I'll be back if it's more than a couple days. Of course. I'm assuming you will be staying at one of the taverns here in town. We'll find you. Yikes. That sounded like a fucking threat. I assume vigilantes like you don't have a stable place of living here in Gamor. So... It's got to be one of the three taverns. We can stop with the name calling, but sure, we'll find a place. We are, we got our own place again. It's a big mansion. Way better than these houses here. <laughs> <laughs> the destruction that we had on Gamor, I would assume that other places might have better buildings than here. Yes. Again, is there anything else? No, we'll save it for the trial. Thank you, High Inquisitor. All right, everyone, let's mosey on out of here. The guard near you, Finch, that has the satchel kind of nudges you forward. Nothing like rough or anything like that. I feel like me and the guards are probably like, cool, like, I know what's up. Like, you're just, do- <laughs> you're just doing your job, man. <laughs> and Finch, you walk forward between the two knights. They watch you pass and then quickly step behind you, escorting you into the keep. Draskal looks at all of you one last time and then follows behind as the two guards with the orbs and the other weapons follow behind. As they get into the Crimson Hold's gate, the drawbridge begins to rise. The four guards on the outside of the moat stand ready still, spears in hand watching you. Finch has been arrested. You've gained some... Hi, Inquisitor Draskow. <laughs> <laughs> I am <high> Inquisitor. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs>